a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Next listener, Tom says, when and how do they prune woody salvia? They say theirs is broken down from the heavy snow. Well, I'm trying to figure... The broken down parts you can take off. Yeah, just take them off. And salvia, if they are the herb sages... so. I, don't I have will. Any ex- woody yeah, the explanation here is that we call a lot of things sage that may or may not be true sage, and so the salvia genus, which is part of the mint family, but salvias include the herb sage, the true herb sage. Really? Yes. And so, if you've grown like May night salvia or salvia gregii or some of these others. The herb sage is included in that club, in the salvia genus. And so if it's true salvia, they're not really long-lived perennials. You'll get three to four, maybe five years out of herb salvia, herb sage, before it needs to be replanted. But if you have, there are many salvias that will turn into kind of a woody-stemmed subshrub. And so I mentioned that salvia gregii. We have several native salvias that are little shrubs that will bloom a lot of the summer. And so for those, cut anything dead out. And then if they're three or four years old, you might take um, 20 or 25 percent of the biggest branches or biggest yeah branches out toward the base. So not a haircut. Not a haircut, but just re- you're using renewal pruning, taking just a few of those branches out every year to keep it young and vigorous. Okay, what time of year? When would they do Mid-March that? is generally the time to do that. And for some reason, if it doesn't come back, I have noticed that many of the salvias are not really long-lived as oh. far as perennials. So, Okay. Let's go back to our phone lines. Rick is in Alpine. Good morning, Rick. What is your question? Good morning. Thanks for doing this. I enjoy your show. Thank you. I, I am in Alpine. I'm looking to plant some fairly fast-growing but very resilient maple trees in the strip between the sidewalk and the gutter. There's about a three- or four-foot grass strip there and wondered what you would recommend for maples that are really resilient and, and, you know, tough. I would look for, if you're wanting smaller maples, they're a little bit faster-growing, hot wings or rugged charm maple. Both Hot of wings and what, what rugged was the second charm. one? Uh, both of these are varieties of Tatarian maple, and they have really nice fall color. They max out about 20 or so feet, so they're not going to overwhelm the area, but they can grow a couple of feet a year. And would you just spell that second one you said? Yeah, rugged, R-U-G-G-E-D. Rugged Charm. 
Okay, and then two more real quick ones. I've got a big a walnut tree, and some of the branches are dying off on it. It hasn't been trimmed or maintained for years. What would you recommend? Well, I on the branches that are dying, I would carve into the bark and see what it looks like because I, I don't want it to be, but it's sounding like maybe a disease called thousand cankers. And so look up thousand cankers disease to know how to diagnose it. But if you have a limb dying here and a limb dying there, thou, those are the first symptoms that show up and the trees can be dead within three to four years. Now there are other things that will cause that, um, several, like three or four years ago, we had a really bad fall that a lot of maples had the canopy die back to about a third of its original size. But that was the entire canopy and not just a branch here or there. And so cut into them, see what you can figure out. Um, maybe when it leaves out, you can send some pictures to the Utah County Extension um, so what you would do is just send it to garden help, all one word, garden help at usu.edu. And I'll have Meredith, our diagnostician, take a look. That um, email address is for Utah County residents. So, Great. Lastly, real quick, two types of cherries that are good that you can pick and eat. Oh, there are so many out there. If you can find it, one that I really like is called Benton. It's B-E-N-T-O-N. It has a really good flavor, and you would only need one because it's self-pollinating. But another you could look at, you know, Stella or Bing are another couple that are really good. Um, Lambert. Okay. That's my, Lambert's my father-in-law's favorite, so... All right, Rick, thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, next person would like to know, Ton, should they get the leaves out of their flower beds right now or should they wait? They say they have the tulips coming up and other plants. There's no If the things are coming up just fine, there's no huge rush, but they could get them out too and send it to Green Waste. It's kind of their option. Okay. Uh, Amy is on the line in West Valley City. Good morning, Amy. What is your question? Hi. Um so last year in the summer, we didn't have any peaches on our peach tree, and we were really sad because we like to share them with all our neighbors. But um, I think that what happened is in April, there was a frost that killed the blossoms. So my question is, what kind of steps do we need to do to protect those blossoms from, like, dying? I I would find a team of magic wielders. <laughs> Bring the tree in. Yeah, you know, get the magic people to, I don't, there's really not much you can do. It's a hard Um, one, Amy. One thing you can do is make sure that the tree is watered like it's supposed to be. So is it in your lawn or in a separate area? in front of the house. It's actually right up against the house. Okay. And is it being irrigated by lawn sprinklers or how do you irrigate it? My husband goes out there and waters it maybe like once a week or so. Okay. What I would do is run a lawn sprinkler, just a hose-in sprinkler, uh, under the canopy so that you're not really dousing the leaves, but you're getting the root zone. Mm -hmm. And so the water penetrates every week to about a depth of 18 inches. So you're going to do that every week to 10 days. 
the other thing you can do, does do the leaves look perfectly like dark green and it's healthy? Um, the tree is mostly healthy, although we did have a neighbor down the street who has apricot trees, and her trees did the same thing. Yeah, they didn't produce anything. Last year we had some hard frost, and so the other thing I would do is maybe get some uh, fertilizer, just something like sixteen, 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 and put. How light is the trunk? Um, well, considering it's right up against the house, they had to cut back some of the branches. So I would say the trunk is probably like three feet wide. Are you talking long it, or? Um, well, the tree is only about 10 years old. Okay. So the trunk's got to be on the width, so, you know, from edge to edge. If you put your hand on either side of the trunk, I'm thinking maybe six inches. Um, huh? So what I would do is use about a cup of lawn fertilizer, not weed and feed, but lawn fertilizer, triple 16, and sprinkle it yeah. under the canopy in mid to late March and then do another cup or so in um, mid-May and just to keep mm-hmm. your nutrition up. And sometimes using proper nutrition and proper irrigation, you can help the trees be a little more hardy and able to overcome you know, frost and things, but if we get down to 22 or 23 degrees and it's near blossoming or in full blossom, there's oftentimes nothing you can do. Well, thank you so much for the advice. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right, Amy, thanks for your call this morning. It's a tough one, Ton. It is. We can't control the weather, but we can make sure the tree's as healthy as possible. Yeah, I mean, short of, and you'd have to have something that's several acres, but the orchardists have fans in the orchard that blow warmer air from up high down into the orchard. But we can't, a homeowner can't really do that practically. Mm -hmm. So... All right, we need to take a break. When we come back, Darren, you will be first up. You can join the conversation by calling us 801-575-8255, or you can text your questions to 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. We're taking your calls 801-575-8255. Text questions at 57500. Darren is waiting patiently on the phone lines from South Jordan. Good morning, Darren. What is your question this morning? Good morning. Hey, um, so I recently moved out to South Jordan. I have to reestablish um, my raspberry patch. And I did some fall bearings like Polka and Joan Jay, and those are pretty good. And I saw a new one, BP1. I was wondering if you had any experience with that. And then also from summer bearing, I was going to do Cascade Delight, and I was considering doing Boeing. And I was wondering if you knew anything about how Boeing does here. I don't have the fact sheets in front of me, but USU did a lot of work with several of these varieties. Oh, it's been eight or ten years ago, but the information's still valid. And so if you were to look up USU and Raspberry Varietal Trials, Sheridan Hansen and Dr. Brent Black did a ton of work with these. And 
Cascade Delight, I think, was in there. Anytime I see the raspberries with Cascade in the name, especially like Cascade Dawn, they're, they may not be completely hardy. I think Cascade Delight is better. And uh, I like the Polka and Polana because you can treat them normally and you get summer and fall crops. Um, a gentleman I know up in Cache Valley grows Autumn Britain, and he really likes that one. It's a fall bearing. Um, Prelude is another one I've had a lot of people really say they like. But Joan Jay is another one that performs really well. So mm-hmm. even if you wanted to fall back to the old mix of Heritage and Camby, they're not super productive, but they're really nice flavoring, flavored berries. Yeah. And I did I, Heritage, I, and it it, it kind of uh, it was too late in the season, I felt like. It's yeah, been, you um, lose a lot yeah. of your harvest, especially compared to polka. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, it's just... So yeah, there. I would download those USU fact sheets and see if there's anything in there that um, makes you want to grow them more than others. But that mix that you've already mentioned is a pretty good mix. Sure. Okay. Sorry. And then I just have one other question. You were talking about cherry trees. I we're considering planting a cherry tree. I know there are some other cherry trees in the neighborhood for cross pollination. How close? would they need to be if I did a non-self-pollinating one? A few hundred feet. Okay, so they got to be relatively close. Then. Yeah. If you want a self-pollinating, the two varieties out there are Van and Benton are the two common ones. Benton, Benton. I think, has superior flavor, but Van isn't bad. Okay. But if you uh, have cherry trees in the neighborhood, then you could probably get away with just planting a bean or something if you wanted to go that direction. Sure. Okay. All right. Thanks All right. for your call, Darren. Thank you. Uh, next listener, Tan says or asks, is it too late to transport grape shoots and plant them in another yard? No, it's not. Uh, the timing to come up, you can't just take a branch of a grape and jam it in the ground and hope it grows. It's unfortunately not that easy. I wish it weren't. And so if you were going to try to do something like that, you could get a grapevine from the previous year and dig a hole and loop that branch into the hole where it's coming out and you have 18 inches at least above ground Hmm. with a good six inches looped underground. And then you just bury that in. And as the grape tries to leaf out, those underground nodes will root out and you'd have to leave it for the season. And then the next fall, early next spring, you could clip it, dig it up and move it. The other thing, and I would just tell them to maybe download some YouTube videos or email Michael Karen, uh, you can take cuttings of one-year-old vines or canes and then propagate them, but you need a heat mat and a few other things to do that. And by the time you get done buying all the equipment, some it's, most of the time it's just cheaper to go buy a new plant from the garden center. Okay, but is it too late to transplant right now? No, it's not. It's okay. too early. That's what I was going to say. Is it too early? I yeah, think my ground I, mean, is I would frozen. take the cuttings and they could start propagating them in big long tubes, mm-hmm. but um, or a deep a deep pot full of vermiculite or something. But like I said, you can't just go take cuttings of a grape branch, jam it in the ground, and expect it to grow. It won't. All right. Let's take a call from Ann in Provo. Good morning, Ann. How can we help you? 
I had some grubs in a section of my lawn last year. I was able to kill the grubs, but uh, I haven't been able to get the lawn to grow back well in that area. I've raked it good and got out the dead grass and seeded it and tried to water it good, but it still looks looked terrible by the end of the summer, and I'd like to get it looking better. So what do you advise? Is it still under snow right now? Yes, okay. pretty much. Uh, a light covering of snow. Okay, what you... Well, there's some of it that isn't, though. There's about three-fourths of it is not. What I would recommend doing is, as soon as the snow melts off, get grass seed. And at a uh-huh. rate of three or four pounds per thousand square feet, just broadcast it out. And then maybe just get a light layer, like a quarter of an inch of of some sort of compost or peat moss and just sprinkle it over the top of the seed and let it seed in with natural moisture. Would you cover the grass seed so that the compost is... Uh... Just a quarter of an inch over the top. Okay. And that won't and how... kill any existing grass, but it will help that seed germinate. Okay, and what do you recommend as compost? You know, I've used soil pep. I've gone to my local green waste facility and gotten their compost and spread it really thinly. But anything like peat moss or just a compost in a bag, depending on the size of the area, would work. And what I've used is a a feed scoop like you would use on a farm and just used a feed scoop and put compost in there and then just very carefully shook it back and forth to get my quarter inch over the top of the area. So it's about a quarter inch deep you want? Yes, yep. Okay. Now what about the uh, the variety of grass seed? Something uh, with a, maybe a little bit of rye and then mainly Kentucky bluegrass. Okay. And how how soon would I dare do that? <laughs> As soon as the snow melts off, it will okay. germinate when the soil temperatures and air temperatures are warm enough. But as soon as the snow melts off, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need to rake it good before? If it's bare ground, I would get it prepped and then put the seed and compost down and leave it alone. When I've tried to stir okay. seeds in by raking, I'm too I'm too blunt i guess and i always rake too much soil up in areas rake the seed away and it's just it's quite difficult to be able to delicately rake that seed in and that's why i like to broadcast it on the soil surface and cover it with that quarter inch of compost okay sounds good all right thank you very much thanks for your call this morning i'm gonna try and squeeze diane here in here from taylorsville before the top of the hour good morning diane what is your question this morning I have a uh, drip system in my vegetable garden. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, And they always tell me that I'm supposed to say you're only supposed to water deeply once a week. I water every day, and I can't seem to get it wet enough to let it go two or three days between waterings. Do I just let my plants droop hugely and then water it long? I would water it longer and get to a point that you're actually watering two or three days a week. A week space is too long. 
unless okay. you have really clay soil. And so I would water more deeply, but I would do it two to three times a week. And I start with seed for everything except my tomatoes. Well, I even seeded tomatoes in my garden last spring because it was such a great spring. But I water I water every day when I have seed. Yeah, and that's so fine. Not, okay, okay. You just water so more just lightly kind of, so it stays moist but not muddy wet, and you don't want to blow the seed okay. out of the soil. But, okay. yeah, your your vegetable garden should be watered two to three times a week. Okay. I just got to get it deeper then. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. You're awesome. Thank you. Diane, thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, next listener, Tom, says they have pine trees bordering their garden. Uh, do you recommend they rake out the pine needles or just till them into the soil? Well, if it's a really light layer, you know, a quarter of an inch, they can just till them in. But any more than that, because there's so many resins and lignin and things in those needles, they can actually rob the soil of nitrogen. And so I would compost them ahead of time or just once or twice a year, a really light layer. Now, they can use the pine needles as a mulch to cover the soil. And that's done in the southeast very commonly. You'll see people with gardens with what they call pine straw, like we would use grass. And so if they wanted to collect the needles and just spread them between the rows to help conserve water and hold down weeds, that is great. Then what you would do in the fall is just rake them out so you have a really thin layer and then you could till them in in the fall. All right. Next listener says uh, because the temperatures have been low, they've started to prune their fruit trees. Uh, When cold weather is a factor, how do they know when to prune? If it's going to be colder than 10 or 15 degrees at night, I won't prune. And so you need a stretch of seven to 10 days above 10 or 15. The apples and pears are more tolerant, but especially the stone fruits. And so the apples and pears should have been pruned two or three weeks ago. And within the next 10 days, we'll prune stone fruits. All right. We're going to need to take a break for the top of the hour news. We hope you will stay with us. Uh, the plant of the week was the English daisy. If you didn't catch our conversation about that, you can catch that later on this afternoon on the podcast, which you can find at kslnewsradio.com on, at podcasts. And you can check out the article that we have on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We'll be right, right back following the top of the hour news. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.